Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing PR and marketing strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, how to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. 
In this episode, I interview Lisa Gawthorne, owner of Bravura Foods, a marketing sales and distribution company in the UK. Lisa has worked in a variety of fast-moving consumer goods marketing roles at major blue-chip companies, including Leaf UK, working on the Chewitz and Malico brands, Nichols Foods, working with the Vinto, Sunkist and Rani brands, Burton's Foods on their sugar confectionery and branded export biscuits portfolio that included Cadbury's, Maryland, Wagon Wheels, Jammy Dodgers and Lion's Biscuits, and Cedar Health on its range of natural healthcare products. After five years at Cedar Health, Lisa moved to work directly for OY Panda AB in Finland, coordinating all marketing activities across the UK, US and Canada. Among the vegan food brands Bravura Foods represents are Panda Licorice and Freedom Mallows, Captain Kombucha, Vegan Bakery and Little Miracles and it also owns its in-house vegan confectionery brand, Free From Fellows. Lisa, who's from the north of England, is also the author of the vegan health and fitness book, Gone in 60 Minutes, a bite-sized health and fitness resource that can be read in just an hour. In addition to managing her own business, Lisa is a competitive runner. She's run for her club, Liverpool Pembroke Sefton, the County of Merseyside and Great Britain duathlon teams for her age group at European and World Championship levels. In this interview, Lisa talks about what you need in place before approaching retailers because they don't want to have to handhold you, how to be innovative in your presentations to retailers, the importance of targeted marketing plans, especially if you want to get your brand into a large retailer. The importance of speed to market, especially now with the plant-based trend being so popular. What she looks for in a brand when considering working with them. The one question every vegan brand needs to ask themselves on a regular basis. And much more. Here's the interview with Lisa Gawthorne from Bravura Foods. Hello, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you on the show today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. My absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to, to getting stuck in with chatting to you because you've got such a breadth of experience, particularly in the, the food and the real te- retail sectors. You work for lots of big brands. So really excited to be talking to you. But the first question I always kick off with, with anybody is the why. So what are your drivers and your reasons for running your business, Bravura Foods? Uh, I guess ever since school, college and actually university, um, I always envisaged having my own business and had that dream from, from a very early age and dreamt of working for myself in a field that actually interests me, but uh, more importantly, in a field that I feel passionate about because I do feel that that is key uh, to business success now in the world that we live in. Uh, you know, it helps if you've got that ingrained passion and you really actually do use the products and respect them uh, rather than just obviously having a product within the range that is just another product, so to speak. Got it, got it. And why did you decide, because with Bravura, you you offer a full sales, marketing and distribution to, to brands. Mm. Why that direction? Like Because obviously there's a, you know, people can have a passion for all sorts of things. Why did you decide to go that particular direction? 
Um, well, I mean, it's a slightly long story, but I'll try and summarise that. Um, I mean, in the early days of my career, obviously, I worked with a lot of the big businesses in the, in the northwest of England where I live. So worked on some very big brands like Chewitz um, from Leaf UK, worked for Nichols Foods on the Vimto brands and continued to further my skill set at Burton's Foods, which was part of Premier Foods at the time, on big brands like Cadbury's and Jammy Dodgers and Wagon Wheels. Oh, I used to love Jammy Dodgers. Oh, and Wagon Wheels. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, just (laughs) slipped me back to my childhood there. Yeah, carry on. (laughs) Um, So it was at that time, really, after after gaining uh, a few years of decent sort of experience that I really had this urge to start focusing on the the vegetarian, the veggie sector, so to speak. And I had, um, you know, an aim to work on health food style brands so I actually approached a business called Cedar Health uh, at the time that was based in Stockport in the northwest here and even though they didn't have a position as such their their MD at the time made space for me in the business as he felt that I could uh, add something to, to the to the business moving forward and the driving force Katrina for me targeting that business at the time was to work on the Panda Licorice brand which is one of the biggest confectionery brands in the health food trade and, and certainly a big one within the vegan sector so I guess it was during those years of working closely with the management team uh, of Panda in Finland, who, who owned the brand, um, where it became evident that they needed a more structured and focused, dedicated distributor to handle their future plans. And it was at that time where myself as the head of marketing and my business partner, who was the sales director in the same business that I was in, we decided to set up Bravura Foods back in 2011 with the clear aim and intention to create a very green focused business providing the UK market with innovative brands and Panda actually was the first brand to come on board of Eura Foods, uh, shortly followed by Vegan Mallow's brand Freedom, um, Captain Kombucha, uh, Vegan Bakery Biscuits and uh, in the last few months Little Miracles Drinks as well. Fantastic, um, it- wow. So in addition to those brands coming on board, we also had our own kind of aims and objectives to to launch some of our own brands. So one of which is Free From Fellows, which is the UK's only range of sugar-free, gelatin-free and gluten-free gums, uh, as well as uh, jellies, hard-boiled sweets and lollipops. So basically, that's just the nation's favourite sweets without any of the nasties. Um, So, I mean, it's been seven years of hard work and dedication, but I am very fortunate, Katrina, to be actually doing something that I love, that aligns perfectly with both my vegan lifestyle, but also my moral compass in life as well. I love that. And I love that the way that you sort of transition, it was such a natural transition out of corporate because we hear a lot, you know, nowadays of people who are working in corporate, you know, working for big companies and they hate their job and they want to start up their business. But, you know, and it can be quite tricky, you know, kind of getting out of that. They've almost got to start from scratch. But I love the way mm-hmm. it's sort of, you found a way to actually take your skill set and, you know, be working with those big brands and, and transition out and to start your own business. So I, I really love that story. And it's great that, you know, you've got somebody with your skill skills uh, and your team as well that are actually able to help like you said these vegan and green brands so I think that's absolutely fantastic so thank you for sharing that so just tap into your expertise a little bit now a lot of the the time vegan food and even more so as as you know you know if it's organic or or otherwise kind of ethically certified is often pricier and I'd love to get your take in how can vegan and ethical brands deal with the challenge to stay competitive uh, and attract clients customers Mm. 
Good question, good question. I think, um, well, the good news about this right now is that veganism has, has never been so big. So vegan products have never been so accessible. Uh, and over the last few years, new ingredients, uh, new packaging and new raw materials have definitely become more available to help keep those manufacturing costs at, I would say, an acceptable level. And also, I think that the prices are only going to be set to come down further in the future uh, as more and more businesses choose to use these types of products to innovate with uh, as, as the number of vegans increases in the UK and indeed beyond. I think for those products out there currently demanding that price premium in, in the vegan arena, I still think they do have a market because one thing that I've noticed, particularly from our research uh, with uh, the vegan market, is that vegans generally are willing to spend that just that little bit more if they know they're getting products that are totally suitable for the diet um, whilst also tasting amazing, which obviously products generally need to do if you want to capture that all-important repeat purchase. So. I think as long as your products taste and perform exceptional and the market can see that there is value to them, even if they are slightly more premium priced, um, it'd still be a success. And, and who knows, like I say, that, that price may even come down in the future as our demand is definitely growing. Yeah, no, fantastic. I love that. I always say to people, you know, it's all, it's often about the story. In fact, my next article, um, well, by the time this airs, it will probably come out for Forbes, is about a really amazing, innovative uh, vegan brand, long-running vegan brand in the UK. And it is, it's kind of about the, the story. And I feel very warmly towards the brand because of all the amazing things they do that, yeah, I'm willing to, I can even buy them here in Australia. And yes, they're priced more than, you know, another vegan brand, but I'm going to buy it because I know the ethics behind it and the passion and the story behind it so I love that you yeah. you've brought that up um, I also like what you said about um, as more companies even if they're not specifically vegan only companies the more they start demanding and using these materials that can actually bring the price down which will then help specifically vegan businesses absolutely yeah, yeah. And, and I think that 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 will definitely increase I mean only this week you know we've seen probably I think uh, five uh, of the big uh, high street grocery retailers in the UK have been um, dedicated to launching their own vegan ranges. So I yes. think as that kind of comes to the market and people become more aware of that, I think that will drive more interest from a branded manufacturing point of view in terms of uh, getting more products out there and driving more demand on those raw materials. Brilliant. Now, another challenge that I, I hear a lot about from plant-based food businesses in particular is they want to get into retailers. So that could be health food stores. It might be speciality grocers, or it could even be like the big supermarket chains. So your Tesco and your Asda. And I know you've had experience with, with all those, those um, retailers. What advice can you offer to them? Well, okay. Firstly, I would say anyone wishing to break into any market, no matter how big or small, needs to define their market. They've got to understand their market positioning and they've really got to get under the skin of their perspective or indeed their current consumer demographic. So they need to answer really important questions. Who is their current consumer? How old are they? How regularly are they expected to buy the product? You know, Are they buying it for themselves? Uh, are they buying it to share or to eat alone, etc.? because all of those important questions have to be answered and paired up with a decent numerical data so that you can then formulate a realistic business plan along with obviously a decent launch pitch presentation, um, which will obviously give you a higher chance of, uh, of succeeding in the marketplace. Now, we actually get approached day in, day out by some really wonderful and totally innovative product inventors 
But beyond the product itself, uh, they don't necessarily know much about the retail sector. They don't know a lot about the market size. And it's very important to be able to attract the attention from the Asdas and the Tesco's and the Morrison's and all the retailer buyers that we deal with. Um, because they don't want to believe that they've got to do a lot of handholding. They want to know that you know all your data and that you know everything so that you're making their life easier. And they simply want to know that you have your plans in order, that it's going to be profitable for them, and that you have, uh, let's say, an excellent, well-thought-out plan to ensure that consumers will know about this product and will, furthermore, come to their store to actually buy it. I love that. I think that's so important that you've touched on there because I was going to ask you what do the retailers and supermarkets look for and I I kind of guessed that they would not want to be hand-holding because they're probably so busy and probably get like you inundated with you know new products to potentially put on their shelf space so that makes a lot of sense that they would want you to to have your numbers and and know the market. Um, So in terms of that do they like if a, a brand has got say a brand new product and it's quite innovative would a retailer mm. consider it at that kind of early stage or would they expect to see say a minimum number of sales already been made in different channels uh, it largely depends on the type of innovation i mean generally the supermarkets that we deal with they tend to look for carefully crafted products that have been developed with a specific need in mind. So they look for products that fill market gaps on their shelves, particularly to solve problems. Um, Or potentially, we've seen a lot of this as well, they look for products that may complement the range that they already carry in store. But above all, Katrina, what they're looking for is decent innovation. And that might be innovation with regards to the product itself and product engineering. It might be that you are innovating with a, with a new packaging format, or it might just be that you're offering a different price and you've got a price differential in the market. But above all, they want to know that what you're proposing will give them incremental category value. That's what they want to see. They want to see that, you know, that you've you've well thought this through. You know, you've got to use innovative ways to, to present. I mean, when we go to our presentations, we sample the product live in the meeting. We use live footage of what our current mood is on social media. You know, get out the cool infographics that summarize what the main win is. And I think that if you can prove to them that, you know, you've started the ball rolling on that, um, then it's less of a gamble for them. Uh, rather than uh, you know let, letting them think, oh God, we've got to do everything here for them. So would they would we would a brand be able to say get straight into something like a big supermarket chain, or would they first have to say uh, go into a speciality grocer or a health food store to kind of prove the concept and prove that people are buying it? Not necessarily. They, they probably would. I mean, we've we've dealt with some brands that we've taken straight to grocery with zero um, kind of history or heritage, should we oh, say, wow. in the speciality um, sector. And that's been specifically because we've been very fortunate that at that point in time when the multiples have been planning their range of views, they've been looking for an exact product that we had uh, as a potential client to take on. And then there are the other uh, clients that we deal with where, yes, we have had to take that kind of um, well-proven heritage of being in the health food trade uh, and, and move it out. Panda, as an example, it was originally born in uh, pharmacy and health food for, for many, many years. But since it's been with us, we've been taking it into the likes of Sainsbury's, Waitrose, 
Um, you know, we're in talks with many of the other uh, major malts at the moment about extending that as well. So I think it largely depends on the point in time that you're going to be speaking to the multiple and also the point in time when they're actually planning their range of views. If, if you know, for instance, that they're looking for, let's say, uh, a vegan egg replacer and you've been speaking to someone that, you know, has got a very decent product, but it hasn't got any distribution, that's not to say that they won't get any further with the, the, the grocery multiple because nine times out of 10, they're still willing to look at the innovation of a product. And sometimes uh, they're quite cheeky as well because they want to be first to market with it. So they might try and strike <laughs> a deal with you right. and say, well, can we have you know six months exclusivity on this vegan product so that we can be first to market and really drive that trial and make it a destination purchase for people in the market? Fantastic. And I'm guessing that's obviously the, that kind of intel or that knowledge and those connections, I guess that's where it comes in handy for brands to work with a company such as yourself because you've got all those connections and you kind of you know you'll know what they're looking for because you're sort of you know got your feet on the ground talking to these um chains um on a regular yeah. basis yeah yeah cool. absolutely now what are some of the challenges working with because i've asked this question when i've had some other guests on the show but i'd like to get your take on it as well some of the challenges involved particularly with the big retailers because i've heard some quite sort of um frustrating stories shall we say of um you know supermarket take big chain takes on a vegan brand it does well and it's popular and then the brand tries to sort of squeeze it out like squeeze the margins to the point where either the the brand can't uh, it's not viable for them to to take part in being in the supermarket anymore or the brand the supermarket chain makes its own brand that's similar uh, to the vegan brand but cheaper so can you talk about anything like that, some of the, the challenges that uh, vegan brands may face going into yeah. big retailers? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you are right, I won't lie. It's very tough out there. And when you deal with some of the larger supermarkets, uh, there, there are definitely uh, you know some of the margin issues that, that happen, obviously. And that's why we always recommend that any brand that we work with, we like to give them a decent spread of business in various sectors so that they have some of the margin hungry customers can be soaked up let's say by some of the more um fairer players in the market who don't necessarily require as much funding etc um i also think it's important to remember that uh, the manufacturers that come to us if they've created something that's truly innovative um and they believe in it and they've got the passion and we believe it then it's only a matter of time before some of the grocery uh, supermarkets actually come knocking at your door and we we have this a lot where we get approached by the supermarkets rather than the other way and that's decent because then that gives you a little more power in the field mm-hmm. of negotiations yeah um I think if you've got a product that you know consumers are buying into, then you can, of course, cherry pick who you deal with. But I think it comes down largely to volumes and economies of scale. Um, If you can afford the economies of scale, like I say, then perfect. If you can afford not to deal with some of the larger corporations and make decent profit, then also that's good too. But you have to understand that that does carry a sacrifice or trade-off, should we say, with regards to your potential consumer reach in the marketplace. But I think one of the the other challenges in the market, Katrina, is that uh, it's the speed to market and responsiveness to the market needs. So not a day goes by without me seeing some new launches that either yourself have reported on or some of the magazines have reported on. And I think from meeting a lot of potential clients behind the scenes, a lot of these guys have got great products and great ideas but getting them to market can take a while. Yeah. And more than often, you know, that, that can mean someone can beat you to the, the finish line. 
Um, and for me, it's, it's like a gamble, I guess. You have to press on and you have to know when the time is right or you shelve a project and you move on to a bigger potential win. Um, because, you know, speed to market is very, very important. You know, we only have to look at what's happening in the marketplace uh, this January so far. And I have never seen such an explosion of vegan products yeah. uh, in, the, you know, in the UK and beyond. So I think that these clever, innovative, uh, innovative kind of R&D personnel who are working behind the scenes, they have to understand that having a product is brilliant and be, believing in the product is brilliant, but you've got to have a very decent plan to hit that market quickly. And that's certainly where we come into uh, and, and, and offer that assistance. I guess another challenge as well is availability of raw materials. And I know you've touched upon this uh, with me earlier, is a cost that the market can actually bear. Um, it's definitely a key challenge because sometimes the type of product that you really want to incorporate into a recipe is just way, way, way too expensive and right. would make it totally non-affordable to a consumer, which for us is very frustrating, especially when you do trials and you know yourself that it's the best performing and tasting option, but you can't put it out there at a price that the market can tolerate. So I think that's a big challenge as well in that, uh, you know, the prices of some of the materials are relatively, well, let's say a, above premium. But again, as I said earlier, I'm hoping that with the market movements, those prices do come down as the, as the demand is driving forward. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm really glad that you touched on that. And it's funny, actually, I got an email recently from um, a company in the US that uh, manufactures like dried food and uh, fruit. Uh, Fruit is what I'm trying to say, and nuts. And um, they were saying that they want to launch a new product, but because of the cost of almonds in the US, they're having to hold back on the launch simply because of the reasons you've just said. It would just be like way too expensive. So I'm really glad that you've you've mentioned that. And I guess that sort of touches on, you know, like people are sort of perhaps they're at a very small stage of their business and they've been maybe selling at markets, you know, or from their home kitchen and they're just looking to scale up. It's a very big difference to you know selling a handful of muffins or vegan cookies at a market yeah. store to that volume and you know it doesn't translate exactly you don't just make more of exactly what you've been making in your kitchen there's a lot more involved and obviously a lot more finance involved in order to uh, get into some of those retailers absolutely yeah for sure now what are some of the key mistakes you see plant-based food businesses make um i think that some some of the um, clients that come to us, they have a great product, but they don't have a plan. I'd say that that is that is a key one, really. You know, they they think that having a product and then just handing it over is 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 what you know is what's going to give them success. But you've got to really have some kind of gauge and plan. I think that the other one that I see a lot of is that they have a product, but they are quiet in a marketplace that quite clearly needs noise. Um, you know, I've said earlier the importance of having a plan cannot be underestimated um, is definitely needed if you're serious about business growth in this sector because the plan is useful for the the actual business themselves that's come to us so that they can see where they're going to go the plan is useful for us so we can see sector by sector where we're going to aim these products and again the plan is very very important to our customers um, all of our grocery customers and our um, health food wholesalers so that they can understand what we're doing behind the scenes to, to make that kind of product and product area grow so I'd say that most of the mistakes we see are really, you know, a well thought out product, but not necessarily a well thought out plan. And that, again, is where we try and come in and, and help and, and nurture that moving forward. Yeah, got it. Now, so as we mentioned earlier, so you offer a sales, marketing and distribution service in one. So at what point is a brand ready for that 
those kind of services? Because obviously, you know, there's fees involved and what have you. So does does the brand need to have a, a, a specific amount of turnover? What are you kind of looking at? Yeah, at what point are they ready for your kind of services? Good question, good question. I think um, in recent years, we were not probably as picky as to what brands uh, needed to do to prove to us, you know, that they were, they were the one for us to partner with. And we would often look at the more embryonic brands that probably needed more input uh, from a business that knows the market and can take the brand in as, as if it were own already. But I think in the latter years, as the market has become so much more competitive, so much more slick and fast moving, and the space on the shelf is, is far from elastic, um, it's important that a prospective new brand that works with us can show us that they've at least done some groundwork and the initial setup, and they've perhaps grown it to their capacity, and now they require, you know, a decent partnership to realise the bigger growth aspirations outside those early years. So we tend to tell new prospects that they need to have probably been trading for roughly about a year. We don't really put a specific revenue on things, but they have to be able to show progressive growth, Katrina, right. uh, within that year. You know, even if that's only with a handful of retailers or a handful of wholesalers, we look for products that are not here today and gone tomorrow. And we're looking for products with potential longevity and regular loyal customer, um, you know, the customer set so that we can then strategically help build and expand these products into the marketplace fantastic now can you give us i know it's going to be very different for everybody and there's probably you know mm. tailor-made uh, solutions but can you give us kind of budget kind of ballpark figures what kind of budgets would a brand need to be able to take advantage of your services well as i say we don't necessarily put a specific limit on things and we do try and be fair and look at these things with with the hat of equality but generally as a guide you know as an example over the last few years probably around about 30,000 pounds per year uh, turnover and saying that if someone came to us with a product that only turned over 15,000 but we know that two of our largest customers are actually looking for a product like that, and we know that that would ramp their sales up tenfold, then naturally we, we would take that into account too. So we look at it on a case-by-case uh, basis. Yeah, and, and uh, what sure I meant, sorry, what I meant was what kind of budget would they need to outlay, like to pay for your services? Do you see what I mean? So if someone's like a, a vegan brand, like before mm. they, because obviously you don't want people contacting you that are going to waste your time because they simply can't afford to work with you. So I guess what I meant there was, you know, what kind of budget should they have in mind to invest in working with a company such as yourself? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it differs. Some some of the uh, some of the clients that we work with, uh, we work on a basis of them bringing the brand to us, and they're also bringing investments. Other clients we work with, where we actually um, have sweat equity, so we invest our time, uh, you know, our, our back office sales support, etc. So every kind of business case is different. Um, and whilst we don't operate a specific set fee. We look at the product and we look at the profitability of that product. So once they've given us a cost that they can sell the product to us at, we will then work out what profitability is left for us in the chain when we sell it on to a retailer. And we'll be quite honest and open that if it's going to kill them or kill us, we'd probably recommend that they either go direct um, or they continue working on it in the background or on their own, etc. cetera. Um, but it's definitely a cost-effective route to work with us because what we actually do is we'll cover sales, national accounts, marketing, finance, you know, all of those kind of departments that these um, smaller, let's say, uh, sole traders can't necessarily, you know, cover on their own. So yes. it can save them money in, in the longer run. 
Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so how can small business owners, so if they want to go to that next level, but they perhaps don't have a huge amount of finances or investment, how do they take that next step? Is it a case of just contacting you and then you do like what you just said, you kind of nut out, um, you know, where they're at and then you just say to them, yes, we can work together or no, it's not quite a fit at the moment. Yeah, basically, we, we, we tend to take the um, the approaches, we feel them out into areas that are obviously of interest to us, um, and then we will look at that and we'll do all the profitability and feasibility analysis. If it comes down to a level of thinking, um, it's just not fair for them and it, it could potentially put the business through or vice versa, if it, if it looks like it's only going to deliver such a small amount of profit to us, but we're going to have to invest you know, X amount of effort that kind of makes it um, unprofitable for us then what would we what we would then do is sit down with them and and basically give them um a choice to move forward on their own and um, potentially with their own sweat equity i.e we would probably um assume that their time is best spent growing it as possible in the leanest fashion for maybe another year and we do see this quite a lot and actually i find it quite commendable as businesses often realise they can't necessarily afford uh, personnel in the first few years, they tend to be, um, the owners tend to be a jack of all trades, juggling <laughs> yeah. all sides of the business, yeah, um, yeah. which obviously it can be stressful, um, but the, resort, the, the, the rewards from that can be real memory makers in those embryonic years of, of brand building. But we definitely, we look at every case um, on a case-by-case basis and it has to make profits uh, for, for them as well as ourselves we would never work with anyone where you know they're just not making anything out of it it's got yeah. to make business sense for them God, as well. of course of course so on the, uh, the subject of competition so as you've mentioned earlier and we've we've seen it and as I say when I wrote my piece for Forbes which was a roundup of you know the developments just in 2017 alone it was like oh my gosh you know there's all this stuff happening we're in the midst of this literally a plant-based revolution so obviously there's more players in the arena now you know no brand is is no longer you know you're no longer the only vegan cheese or the only vegan chocolate whatever so we're getting both ethical vegan brands and also non-vegan run businesses that are cashing in on the trend so what advice do you have for plant-based businesses on how to stand out and basically maintain customers how do they stand out both perhaps within the vegan business sector or within so the vegan community but also importantly to the mainstream yeah, I couldn't agree more with your summary on the market movements um, and the foundations, I think, to succeed in this marketplace have largely remained unchanged. So you need to have a well-researched, innovative product that solves that consumer issue or consumer problem. Um, and coupled with that, you need an extremely targeted marketing plan that cuts out grey areas and I would say focuses on hotspot activities. Targeted marketing plans are very, very important. You know, these retailers and wholesalers want to know that once you've delivered that product you've actually got um, a targeted consumer that, that is going to be reached week in week out so that they're going to be going to the store and buying the product um, in addition to that I think in in this particular sector you've got to keep your marketing activities fresh it is so important so I would say consistently you have to look at your packaging you have to look at your branding all of your imagery, even down to your social media tone of voice, your actual product recipes, and actually ask yourself, is there anything I could do to make this product any better? Because if you don't ask yourself that question, someone else will and may launch a product that's ending up <laughs> yes. being better than yours. Right. Um, that's really good advice, actually. Very good advice. Yeah. So it's very, very competitive. So I think maintaining that that current attitude and that approach and remaining very fresh is absolutely key. 
Absolutely. No, I love that. That's really, really good advice. On the subject, and I ask this to of everybody and I get so many different answers and there is no right or wrong answer, but I'm just curious to get your take on the use of the word vegan in a company's marketing materials, on their website, on the packaging and the prominence of it. What are your thoughts, yay or nay? <laughs> it's definitely a funny area it is a funny funny area uh, I mean we do see these accidentally vegan products on the rise that don't yes. claim it on pack um, you know we see that perhaps they don't want to limit their audience or they you know they don't want to appear to their consumers that they've changed the recipes in any way um, and then on the other scale you've got companies that are totally embracing the word and they're using it on their pack fronts uh, you know on the pack back at the back of the pack they're plastering it everywhere on their on the materials my personal view being a 15 years strong vegan is get it on the pack because the market I know is so much more accepting of it and gone are the days when veganism is all about soy milk and tofu you know you don't necessarily <laughs> have to lead with it um, but having vegan somewhere on pack uh, with a long list of other free from style bullets, I think is definitely the way many are playing it of late to success. Good. Yeah, I'm glad, I must admit, from, just from a consumer perspective, I agree with that because I just love, you know, if I pick up a product and it's in a packet and if I see that v, either, you know, a vegan trademark or the word vegan on it, I'm like, oh, great, excellent. I'll probably still <laughs> double check the ingredients if, I, if it's a brand I don't know. But just seeing it, it, it is that, it's reassuring. I suppose it's like if a diabetic person and they can see, you know, sugar-free or suitable for diabetics, that reassures them and I, I'm, I'm quite happy that uh, vegan is now like you say it's not a necessarily a word that's going to scare people off it's different for different types of businesses but I hear what you're saying I think particularly in the food sector like you said you know with Tesco's just this week has launched its whole new uh, plant-based range that it, it is it's no longer such a scary word so great to get your your take on that now you mentioned earlier that as well as representing other brands you also brought out your own brands now imagine running a particular brand in is a business in and of itself so I'm curious how do you juggle the two like you know bringing new products to market of your own and representing all these other brands yeah it's certainly uh, a busy time but what we tend to do is we we make sure that every brand within our portfolio has a, a very fair share of time in the business and also a fair share of voice in the marketplace. Obviously, that largely depends on the level of investment and support that some of the brands already come to us with. But in addition, what we do with our own business is we add the, the additional departmental functions that help grow that as a business moving forward. But we tend to nurture the brands in our portfolio as if they were a group of children. And that, that really extends out to both our own brands but also brands that we represent because our aim uh, at Bridgeora Foods is to make every one of our brands feel equally as loved as the other and testament to that is the way that we work so on a daily basis we have a branded opportunity matrix that really is the bible in our um, in our business and really allows us to look at every single brand and every single opportunity that's in front of that brand so we never have that dry spot and if we do we manage it and we then go back to the manufacturer or our supplier partners and we say look you know we're running out of uh, new product development in this area and we suggest new things to keep them constantly moving forward so that we know that we can grow them in the marketplace got it and presumably you wouldn't bring a, a your own brand out that competes with any of the other brands that you represent 
Correct. Yeah. yeah, we tend to operate on that, that kind of non-compete uh, format. So every product we have in our portfolio, whilst we have a lot of confectionery products and we have various functional drinks products, um, there isn't uh, you know two products that are actually doing exactly the same thing. So you know even our confectionery, we have licorice, we have marshmallows, we have gums and jellies, and we have hard boiled. So yes, they're all sweets, but they all do different things. And, and same with our drinks, we've got Captain Kombucha, which is obviously a kombucha drink, but we also have Little Miracles which is more of an organic uh, super fruits and tea uh, natural uh, pick-me-up so we tend to take on products that uh, complement the range and the other thing that that allows us to do as well is that we become specialists within our fields so for instance uh, taking on a new a new drink for instance we've already got all of the inroads because we're speaking to all the drinks buyers of course we know the drinks yeah. market you know we yeah. know when the range of views are so so that helps it too Fantastic. Now, I love that. Now, as well as running your business, you have achieved some excellent athletic feats. I remember you emailed me and that was initially what kind of caught my eye. And then I found out, oh, and you also run this awesome business as well. So tell us about some of your athletic feats. Thank you. So, well, you know, it's funny, I wasn't actually that interested in sports, strangely, at school. Um, and uh, it was only really at college and university when I started running and training in the gym for kind of stress relief and relaxation, etc. And since then, I've always kind of had it in my life. So I run for a local running club up here called Liverpool Pembroke Sefton. Um, and I also represent Mersey Try on the duathlon scene. And I've been lucky enough to run for the county in previous years. Um, and I've competed both for my age group on a European and World Duathlon Championship level wow. um, in the last year on Team GB in both Spain and Canada. Um, so I've had a fantastic uh, 12 months. Um, I've got some decent PBs. My 5K running PB is 18.50. Uh, my 10K PB is 38.54. And last year I was number 10 in the world for my age group in the Duathlon oh World Championships. That's amazing. <laughs> that like, yeah. seems, again, see, that seems like it would be like a full-time thing and you're doing that and running your business. You're like superwoman, <laughs> wonder woman. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite cool as well because I was third Brit home, which has actually meant that I pre-qualified for this year's World Championships oh, in Denmark. So, wow. so do, do you know, it's funny. I absolutely love being able to show people that you can be strong and you can be fast and powerful and successful in athletics with a plant-based diet. And I've got to be honest, Katrina, the amount of support that I've had from the health food industry and from the grocery industry as well and, and the whole vegan industry over the last few years has been nothing short of phenomenal. And, you know, I'm looking forward to that continuing with another exciting sporting year ahead of me in, in 2018. Oh, fantastic. Um, I, it helps as well because I've got a background in, well, I wrote my own vegan health and fitness book um, a few years ago called Gone in 60 Minutes. So that's like a little health, health and fitness saviour. Oh, Oh, lovely. We'll um, put a link to that on the show notes page so people can uh, grab grab a copy of that. Fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, that talks about things like fitness, diet, supplementation, motivation. So um, it's got a 16-week perpetual calendar in there. I have a website with video demos showing people how they, they do certain exercises. And I fire out kind of daily helpful tips on Twitter uh, with the handle at Gone in 60 Minutes as well. So I think showing people that you can, you can actually succeed, not only in business, but in athletics, I think is a really important message. And I just love spreading the word day in, day out. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. So final question, what's your long-term vision for Bravura and for yourself? Uh, well, Bravura Foods is growing at quite a commendable rate. So we're forecasting to grow this year by another 30%. 
um, and we have lots of exciting new product development plans in the pipelines to, to extend the portfolio in the right directions. So as we grow, so too will our voice in the marketplace and our impact on the, pl- and the plant strong market will definitely be increasing steadily, I would say, over the next three to five years. For me personally, I would like to potentially extend my involvement in the vegan press to spread the good word further. And I'm also interested, I think, at some point in potentially opening a vegan cafe. But do you know what? Above all, to be completely honest, my dream is I would love to buy a huge big farm and just have loads of rescue animals on it. And <laughs> that would be my, my huge dream. So that, that's keeping me happy and focused because I know one day I will get there and just have one huge big happy animal family around <laughs> yeah oh, well I think that's a dream of a lot of people actually and it's perfectly possible and I think it's Miyoko Shino who you probably heard of from Miyoko's Kitchen does the amazing vegan cheese in the US and she actually yeah. has her own little uh, animal sanctuary I think it's called Ranchero Compassion Sanctuary and that's you know I, I love the way she's able to do that and run a business oh, so I think you're fantastic. another example of yeah someone able to juggle many things at once and um, yeah spreading the, the message of plant-based and vegan out there which is brilliant you've shared some amazing tips i really appreciate you coming on the show i think there's some such helpful advice uh for for vegan brands in this interview so absolutely lovely speaking with you lisa thanks so much for joining me today oh thanks for having me on the show it's been a pleasure so that was lisa gawthorn from bravura foods you can find out more at bravurafoods.com And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 95. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Tesco, one of the UK's largest supermarket chains, has launched a new range of vegan food products in 600 of its stores nationwide, reports plant-based news. The new range, called Wicked Kitchen, was created in conjunction with plant-based chef Derek Sarno, who was hired by Tesco as its head of plant-based innovation last year. That's 2017, if you're listening in the future. Wicked Kitchen features around 20 products, including ready meals and -and grab-and-go options, such as sandwiches and wraps. Among the range is Nana's Mushroom Bolognese, Teriyaki Noodles, a naked burrito, Mai Tai curry, barbecue beans and mash, and two pizzas. Sano, who along with his brother have more than 50 years combined experience working in kitchens, said, This is the year that we will see a major shift in food service offerings, and we're leading the wave. The commitment and stance Tesco has taken by supporting the exciting launch of Wicked Kitchen is just amazing. It is indeed amazing. The fact that a major supermarket chain is not only launching these great products, but also hiring someone to head up plant-based innovation is astounding. I mean, who would have thought that a huge corporation would conjure up a job title like that? What a fantastic way to kick off the new year. Now, Tesco is not the only mainstream brand that's jumped on the plant-based bandwagon at the start of 2018. On the other side of the world, in Australia, Domino's Pizza Chain introduced a vegan cheese and three vegan pizzas to its menu this week. 
Responding to an overwhelming demand to its customer survey on vegan cheese in November last year, the company announced that US brand Follow Your Heart's vegan mozzarella is available to replace dairy cheese on all its pizzas for a limited time for an extra $2.95. Domino's also unveiled three dedicated vegan pizzas, the vegan avocado veg, the vegan spicy trio, and the vegan margarita and confirmed that all its sauces and bases are vegan-friendly. Domino's CEO, Australia and New Zealand, Nick Knight, said, We were blown away by the response to the survey, and for this product in general. We pride ourselves on our people-powered pizza mantra and listen to what our customers want. Now, I was sent a couple of free samples by the PR team at Domino's, the vegan avocado veg and the vegan spicy trio, and I can confirm that they were very tasty. And the verdict by others on social media was similar in that they were a winner. After the news hit social media and mainstream media, people in the US and UK called for the international divisions of Domino's to follow Australia's lead, with People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals launching a petition. So again, good to see mainstream chains embracing the plant-based trend. And this is useful to you if you own a vegan business in the food sector or if you're a chef because you can take action to raise the profile of your brand, which has the potential to bring opportunities to partner with larger companies like this. Finally, a vegan brewery is set to open in Kentucky in the US later this year, reports Veg News. V Grits Food Company, which partnered with microbrewery False Idol Independent Brewers to create one of the first 100% vegan restaurant and brewery combinations in the US, plans to open its first brick-and-mortar restaurant in Louisville in April, followed by the brewery in the summer. The company previously operated as a southern-style vegan food truck and currently produces a line of ready-made vegan foods. Founders Jeff Hennis and Christina Addington, the first chef to appear on and win Food Network's culinary competition, Cutthroat Kitchen, partnered with False Idol's owner Sean Steele to develop the restaurant's craft beer offerings. So, yet another example of collaboration. And I think that's going to be one of the key words for 2018, working together with other complementary vegan brands and also with mainstream companies to increase their vegan offerings. With the long-term goal, of course, to have every business go completely vegan. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 